certainly a privilege to be with you. And as Pastor mentioned, uh, we've had several uh, years here at the Youth Rally. And I remember uh, even before that, I remember your pastor spending some time with me on the phone when I was first in youth ministry. And I really appreciated uh, that from a veteran youth pastor. And then, uh, as you mentioned, getting to go to school with Pastor Joe. And, and now again, uh, that's, that's a double blessing uh, getting to be back in school uh, with him from afar. Uh, of course, now we're, uh, we're just down uh, the road. The Lord uh, had allowed us to serve in southern Ohio for about five years as a youth and children's pastor, and then sent us to California the last three years, and uh, really uniquely preparing us out there, giving us some opportunities to start an adult Bible class and uh, uh, counseling young couples, and also administrating a Christian school, and just a number of things the Lord really used to prepare us. And now he's placed a, a, a strong burden on our heart for the city of Circleville. And uh, Circleville is only uh, really less than half an hour away from you. It's a city of about 15,000 people inside of the county of 56,000 people, and uh, only one other independent Baptist church in the entire county. And uh, that church is struggling. The pastor's ready to leave, and, and uh, we're praying about whether or not the Lord may allow us to, uh, to take that building and, uh, and the acreage associated with it, uh, if the Lord is in that, and uh, certainly praying about that opportunity, if you would pray uh, for us for that. But we're just excited uh, about taking the gospel, taking the, the same things you do here in this church, discipling believers and preaching the word of God and caring about souls and going and recreating that in the city of Circleville. And I think that's the best idea of church planning. Some people aren't, aren't, maybe aren't familiar with church planning and, and, and perhaps don't see the need in America. But the reality is a church like yours is not normal. And it's not what we have uh, all around our country. And, uh, and as, we, as we look around, there's, there's a great need uh, for a strong Bible-preaching church in the city of Circleville. And we're excited to go. We're just two weeks away, and uh, so it's becoming a reality now. A few weeks ago, we moved to town, so we've been there a couple weeks and we've gotten several thousand invitations out. We're praying to, to hit every door uh, with one of our uh, gospel invitations uh, to come to our church. Uh, this, this last weekend, we got several posters and some other uh, outreach materials uh, out in the community. And then, uh, again, we have two weeks left, and we want to cover the entire area. And a few cities, South Bloomfield and Asheville, are just north of there. Again, no no work up there as well. And so we just want to cover these areas and uh, let them know there's a church that loves them and that cares about them and, uh, and wants to minister to them. We're so excited about that. Our first Bible study was this last Thursday night, and uh, we had five people come. And uh, so we're excited about that, looking to, to grow that. Uh, one of the couples uh, is a, or one, one of the families, there was a single lady, and then there, were, uh, there was a couple with two children, and uh, she has an unsaved husband who came and, uh, he, and uh, we were able to form, began a relationship with him, and I'm looking forward to soon uh, being able to uh, sit down with him, and I want to share Christ with him. I'm really excited about it. Uh, seemed to have a good time. They, they said they really enjoyed it. They said they'd be back next week, and so we're so excited about that. God has allowed us to begin meeting in the fairground building. It's a right there in downtown uh, Circleville. It's a great location. We have a banner outside, and uh, it's a great place. It's got about 100 seats few classrooms and a really just incredible blessing and God provided that uh, our hundred chairs a sound system uh, projector I mean just really an amazing way God has brought together everything uh, that we need He's provided for us and uh, and, and now we're ready uh, all systems go to move forward uh, in this in this work so two weeks from today if you would uh, pray for us we're excited about that and excited about all that God has uh, for us and you know the need in America is great as I mentioned moment ago. Uh, for every church that opens in America, four others close. And, uh, and out of those, everyone that start, half of them fail. 
the U.S. has the third largest unreached people, uh, population in the world. And uh, the reality is there, there are great needs. As we look around our country, it's not hard to see the spiritual needs. Sometimes what gets lifted up, you know, physical needs such as hunger and, and, uh, and a variety of diseases. And those are important things. But, but the reality is that there's a great spiritual need in our country. Uh, morality uh, has been thrown out the window. Uh, attacks on, on our God and, and on the freedom of religion. And the problems in America will not be fixed with a new White House. They're not going to be fixed by a better economy. They're going to be fixed by the local church of Jesus Christ. And that's God's answer for America. That's his agenda. And that's why we want to go. That's why we want to plant this church. And that's why we want to reach souls uh, through Faith Baptist Church. And our vision is simply to continually reach families in the Circle area with the gospel of Jesus Christ and grow them into fully committed followers. And that's simply what we're all about and what we plan to do. And just appreciate the opportunity again to share that with you and to be uh, with you this evening. Mark chapter 6, as we dig into the Word of God. Very familiar passage tonight. And uh, uh, it's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, I know perhaps many of you have even taught this and and uh, are familiar with the details of the story. But I, I want to bring out some points that I hope uh, will be uh, in a fresh way to you and some things that God used to stir my heart that I wanted to share with you uh, regarding church planning, regarding just God using us in a great and mighty way. You know, we talked about uh, earlier, I mentioned those, the spiritual needs uh, in, in America. And sometimes we, we look at, at the needs that are there and we think about, well, that's our pastor's job, or that's our staff's job. That, that's the outgoing Christian's job. When the reality is God has called each and every believer to meet the spiritual needs of lost people. God has designed for, for the church as a whole, for each and every one of us, to have an exciting and unique ministry, ministering to people uh, through our person, yielded to the Holy Spirit. God wants to use each and every one of us. He doesn't play favorites, and he doesn't only hold that out for certain people. God wants to use each and every one of us. But if, if we're going to be used by God, we've got to follow a pattern that's laid out before us in this story in, in a very clear way. And the first thing I want you to see tonight, if we're going to have God use us to meet spiritual needs, we've got to see people like Jesus saw people. Look with me, if you would, in verse number 32. He says there, and they, they, and they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot of thither out of all cities, and out went them and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were a sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Dear Father, Lord, I, I pray tonight, Lord, that you would allow us, uh, Father, to, to get uh, the truth that you have before us. You allow us to understand it and believe it and act on it tonight. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak to each and every heart in this room. I pray you'd fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would continue and to use this great church, Lord, and I pray that you would raise up a great church in Circleville. And Lord, in despite of me, I pray that your spirit, the Lord, would just do a great work in that city. And many would come to Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First thing we've got to do, we've got to see people like Jesus saw people. 
Uh, earlier, before the few verses that we started to read, we find that Jesus had been ministering for a long time. He and the disciples, it said, didn't even have so much leisure as to eat. They were so busy, they didn't even have time to sit down and, 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 take, some, and take a snack or and grab some lunch. They had just been ministering and, and, and going and running here and there. And all of a sudden, they were ready to sit down in the boat. They were ready to relax when they saw a new group of people coming. And I'm sure the disciples saw them and, and just groaned with a big sigh. Oh, oh I just want to sit down. I, I, I just want to relax. I just want to eat. And I'm sure Jesus in his humanity felt the exact same desires. However, we're told in this story that when he saw them, it says that his heart was moved with compassion. And he saw them not as a bother and not as a hindrance, but as sheep not having a shepherd. In other words, he saw them and he saw their need. He saw their soul and the eternal condition of it. And when he looked at these people, he, he was moved with compassion. The word compassion sometimes is popular in, in Christian circles. Compassion is sometimes referred to as a deep inner feeling of sympathy and pity towards someone else. We like to use, the, to define that term in, in uh, phrases like, like putting yourself in someone else's shoes, feeling what someone else feels, or uh, thinking what would it be like if I had their struggle or if I had their situation. When the reality is those are good starts to compassion, but compassion doesn't end there. You see, every time we find the word compassion mentioned with Jesus Christ in the New Testament, it always ends with action. Just like in this story. Jesus, it says, was moved with compassion. It caused him to want to act on it, to begin to teach and to begin to minister. His compassion led to action. And that pattern is the very same pattern that God has left for each and every one of us. Sometimes I, I believe we, we uh, appease our conscience by, by uh, making ourselves feel good, that we, we have uh, felt the needs of other people. We, we understand the needs of the lost, and perhaps we're willing to pray, we're willing uh, to be touched with the needs, but what are we willing to do to meet the needs? I was reading recently about uh, an article about uh, the training doctors over in Europe, and uh, they actually send them through uh, acting classes to be able to fake pretending to care about people. Now, that's an interesting thought. I certainly would never envy or make light of the difficult uh, lot in life that doctors have, having to tell that news to a family. But the reality is, how often do we as Christians pretend to care about the lost, to pretend to have compassion? Recently, when we were uh, just uh, about seven weeks ago, we were leaving our home in California, and, uh, and I told some uh, people in my church that I needed help moving. And I found several people that pretended to have compassion. You see, they, they would say, boy, I, I hate moving. I feel for you. I hate moving. Moving's awful. I'm going to pray you find somebody to help. <laughs> but I thank God that there were a few people that had real compassion that said, hey, we feel bad, but we also want to be there to move the stuff. And, uh, and, and we found some of those folks a great blessing. But sometimes we say, yeah, I, I, well, I'm going to pray for that. When, God, when, when prayer is important, but God says, I want to use you to do something. We've got we've to see people through the eyes that Jesus did. When I look at others around me, what do I see? Oftentimes in our lives, we have interaction with lost people. And when they act like lost people, it's frustrating. It's difficult. Perhaps you have a coworker who's difficult to get along with. 
Maybe you have a family member that you have difficulty interacting with, someone who's dishonest to you, someone who uh, just makes life inconvenient. We see people, sometimes we just see the hindrance that they cause. We see the difficulty that they are in us accomplishing our agenda, but we don't look at them and see the eternal nature of their souls. We don't look at them and see the need. Rather, we see how they, how they affect us. What can I get out of them? Rather than looking at them with eyes of compassion like Jesus did, looking at sheep not having a shepherd. He wasn't concerned with the effect that ministering would have on his time and his ability to rest. He was concerned on their need. And if we're going to love Jesus Christ with all of our heart, we can't help but love people. See, because Jesus loved people. And we don't love people because they're worth it. We love people because Jesus placed a high value on people. And this is the way he operates. He he saw these people and he was moved with compassion. Compassion that always led to action. If if God's going to do something great for us, we've got to pray for the eyes of compassion like Jesus. Because it's not normal. It's not natural. It's not the way that, that our, our flesh is bent. But it's, but it's something that God can develop inside of us. And we've got to pray and seek the face of God. That we would see people like Jesus saw people. But not only that in our story. Secondly, if we're going to allow God to use us to do great things. We've got to give like this boy gave. Uh, we think about sometimes the idea of changing our world. And as we look around, we look at the needs, and we think about what it would take to see our city reached and the world reached, our country reached. We think, boy, the needs really are overwhelming. And sometimes we're tempted to think about our own inabilities or our own lack of of talent, perhaps, or lack of a special gift. And we say, what can I really do that's going to make a lasting impact? What do I really have to offer to God? It's kind of like the disciples in the parallel passage in the book of John. In chapter 6, in verse number 9, they were having a conversation about feeding the people. Jesus wanted to use the physical need of food to meet their spiritual needs. And he was having a conversation with the disciples saying, let's feed these people. The disciples said, well... You know, we, geez, we, we, it's not going to work. We don't have enough money to go into town. Uh, we're too far away to send them home and come back. This just isn't going to work. This is not going to work out. And Jesus asked them a very important question. He said, what do you have now? You see, boy, that's important. Because Jesus wasn't concerned with whether or not they had the resources in their minds to meet everything. Jesus just wanted to know, what do you have now that you're willing to give me? What do you have in your, in your hands now that I can use? And of course, they looked, and, and what they had was a lunch from this boy. And they said, well, we've got these uh, two fish and these five loaves. And they made this statement. But what are they among so many? In other words, what he's saying is, well, we've got a little bit of food, but it's really useless. I mean, God, you can't do anything with this to feed people. God, it's really nothing. When God is not concerned with your evaluation of your ability, God is just concerned with the availability of your heart and the amount of your surrender to him. Because as we yield our life to him, God can multiply our influence like he multiplied this food. And God can do far more with your life than you can ever imagine. It's not up to you to figure out how God can do it or what God can do, but it's up to you and I to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. God hears everything. Take my life and use it. It's like this boy. Boy, I'm sure he was tempted. 
to, uh, perhaps if, if this were you and I, maybe we're there, to eat half of his lunch and give the other half to Jesus. Well, and if he had done that, he probably could have looked around and said, you know, I'm doing a lot better than the guy over there. And I'm doing a lot better than this other lady. I'm doing a lot better than all these other people because they gave nothing. And so I'm giving a little, so I feel pretty good. However, he would have never got to see God do something great in his life like he did. He would have never got to see, why? Because he would have held himself back. When you and I keep our lives, when we hold on to our agenda and our priorities and our passion and what we want in our life, we limit God in our life. And we hold God back from being able to do what he wants to do. You see, this idea of giving all, boy, it's a pretty big idea. Sometimes we think of the idea and we think of it with really a, 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 a negative, we view it in a negative light. Like, as if to say, well, I've got to give my all to God. I better hurry up and get miserable and give God my life so he can burden me down with service. Sometimes we, we feel that way, don't we? Uh, boy, giving God all, that means I've got to give up fun and it's a negative thing. When the reality is, I want to tell you now, there is nothing greater in your life than serving Jesus Christ. And the reality is, the more you give to God, the more he gives back in return. Now, if you turn on the TV, they'll take that statement and they'll say the very same thing, but they use it in a different way. And they'll tell you that the more you give to God, the more he'll put in your checkbook. Now, the reality, first and foremost, is that is simply not true. That God uh, never said that in the Word of God. We, we find that in the Bible, that just simply doesn't line up with Scripture. But there's something more important. Not only is it not true, I believe it's insulting to the character of our God to believe that money is the only way He can bless you and I. Why? Because God has something far greater He wants to give you. Two things that I want to look at right now. First of all, His presence. And when you give all to Jesus Christ, you begin to know him in a real and intimate way. And you know him in a far greater way than others around you are unwilling to sacrifice. And the more you give to him, the more he reveals himself to you. And the more he works with you in your life so that you know God in a real way. And you know that he's real. And you know that he's working because of all that he's doing in your life. That's the way I, I feel about planting a church. I would never consider myself... To, to have the ability to plant a church. I would never uh, sell our home and leave uh, across the country because I believe in my ability to draw a crowd. No, you see, in my life, in the last eight years of ministry, I've learned one thing above all else. My God is faithful. And every time he's asked me to do something, he has been so incredibly faithful to provide exactly what I need. Boy, my God is good. And I just believe that if he's going to call me and if he's going to ask me to do this, I believe he's going to come through and he's going to do it in a great way because I believe in my God. And I know my God. I can trust him above all else. I trust him above what I can see and what I can feel because he's real and he's awesome and he's worth serving. I love my God and I want to follow him. Why? Because there's nothing better than experiencing his presence as I surrender more of me and I get more of him in my life realize uh, all that he is and all that he has for me there's nothing like serving jesus christ but not only does he give his presence god gives his power like he did in this story he used a young boy sometimes we might have think as we looked over at that crowd the most least likely or least valuable person to really change things 
You might have said, what was that child? And that's exactly who God used. Why? Just to show you and I, not that God doesn't use adults, obviously, but just to show you and I, God doesn't need ability. He just needs that surrendered heart. And you see, he was able to provide that power uh, in, in a real way uh, through this young boy. Uh, th- there's a, I love this verse, Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 20. It says, now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And we'll stop right there. That verse tells me that my God is able to do anything that you and I can dream or imagine that he could do in our life. God can do that. Boy, that's incredible. That is encouraging. Not only can he do that, he can do above that. And not only above, but he can do exceeding above. And not only exceeding above, he can do exceeding abundantly above anything we can dream that he could do. Now, that's, that, that's, that's encouraging. That gives me uh, hope and peace. But the best part of the verse comes next. It says, according to the power that worketh in us. God is willing to partner with you and I and share his power and glory so that you and I can reach a lost and dying world for all of eternity. Think about that, that concept, that God would desire to partner with you and I. Boy, how undeserving are we to be able to experience the power of almighty creator God in our lives. And yet, God says that's available for you and I. What a privilege to think that God would offer that. To be used. And for you and I, the more we give, the more we get to experience that power in our life. We see God do amazing things. Boy, I I could just imagine if if we could bring the young boy here today and we could ask him something. Uh, Young man, when you gave up your lunch, was it worth it? I believe he would have a very clear a very passionate answer, and abundantly tell you yes. He would beam with excitement as he would share the story right after he told you absolutely it was worth it. It was worth all to, to sacrifice for Jesus Christ. I bet he never forgot it for the rest of his life. Sometimes when we're bored with God, sometimes perhaps if we're not experiencing blessing in our life, sometimes we need to check how much have I surrendered all to Jesus Christ. Well, he has great things that he wants to give to you and I. And he's an incredible God worth serving. If we're going to see God do great things through our life, we've got to see people like Jesus saw people. We've got to give like this young boy gave. But then finally tonight, we've got to obey like the disciples obeyed. Uh, in this story here, if you look with me in verse number uh, 39, Jesus has asked, okay, what do we have? And he's found out what we have. And he, and he tells the disciples to get ready to feed the people. Look at verse 39. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when they had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets of the full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they did eat of the loaves. They that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. Now, uh, if you could uh, think for a moment with me here in this story, in this setting, we understand that God did a great miracle, and that's exciting. 
But before God did the miracle, we're never told that God multiplied the food before he told the disciples to sit the people down. Remember, he had just had this conversation with the disciples about not having anything. The disciples said, well, we've got this lunch, but, but what is it really going to do? And Jesus just looked at him and said, sit the people down. Now, that's a very important concept. Because if you're a disciple right there, you're probably thinking in your mind, now wait a minute, Jesus, don't you remember our conversation? What do you mean sit them down? Don't you know how serious people get about their food? I'm going to lose my life. I don't want to get in the way of, uh, of what's going on here. And if we give just a few people food and there's going to be a riot, God, what's going on? And here are the disciples. I imagine that all these things are going through their mind. And yet, all we're told is they simply obey. They simply obeyed. They didn't see why, and they didn't know how, but they simply obeyed God. Yes, Lord, I will go. I'll do it. God, I'll sit them down. You see, it's easy to obey when we understand why, but it's very difficult if we don't see the path laid out. We don't know why. We don't know how, but God says go. But that, that's difficult. Uh, if you think about this in the terms of children, my children are here tonight, and they're eight and six. And now, uh, so we no longer have toddlers in our home, and uh, they're getting a little bit older. And so if I looked at them, and I said, you know, kids, don't play in the road. You know, they understand that enough. Now, they don't understand life and death the same way you and I do uh, as adults. But they understand that enough to know that's probably not a good idea. And they see the danger associated and understand life and death enough to know that that's not a good idea. And it makes sense. I don't really have a problem. Now, if I look at them and say, go make your bed, that one's incredibly different. You see, that one doesn't make sense because we're just going to get back in tonight and uh, you know, undo all the covers. And That one doesn't make sense. you know how much harder that one is to obey? Because there doesn't seem to be the same rationale in our lives. I know, and, and that's just a silly look. But I believe in our lives it's the very same thing. When, when we can't rationalize it, we don't like to obey it. It's difficult. It's hard to obey when we can't see why. But you know what? That's when faith comes in. That's when we uh, really display faith. See, the songwriter of the old hymn got it right when he wrote, trust and obey. Trust and obey. Our obedience is really just an outflow of our faith that says, God, I believe you. I believe you know best. I believe you're in charge of my life. I believe you can do a better job than I can of figuring this out. Even though it doesn't make sense and even though it's difficult, I believe you. And that's what faith says. And that's the way we really be able, are able to display faith. When we say, I can't see it, but God, I'm going to trust you. What, you think the disciples made a good decision? Absolutely. They sat the people down, wondering in their mind, perhaps fearful, and then stood in line and went through and began to feed the people and probably braced themselves for what was to come and then came back through. Oh, there's more. Oh, there's more. I'm sure it didn't take too long before they, they began to catch on. Something amazing is going on. And, and, then, and in the end, they were able to look back and say, wow. God, God had it all together. God knew exactly what he was doing. I'm sure glad I obeyed, even though I couldn't see why. I believe you and I would have the same testimony in our lives. As God leads, as God says, I want you to go here and I want you to witness to this person. I want you to be involved in this ministry. I want you to do this. As God leads and directs in our lives and we don't understand. And we say, yes, Lord, I will go. I will do it. We would look back at our lives and say, well, yeah, it was a, it was a good decision. 
believing God. It was a good decision following God. I remember in, in our lives, uh, I, uh, when I graduated Bible college, had the opportunity to go back to my home church in Dayton, Ohio, and, and uh, serve on staff there full time. And, and it was a very exciting offer to be there and be with my family. But uh, at the same time, I also uh, had an offer from my youth pastor, former youth pastor. He started a church after my first year of Bible college. And he started a church down in southern Ohio. And, uh, and, I, and he said, you know, I'd love to have you come. We can only uh, pay you a little bit. You'd be part-time and find a job. But I'd really like you to come and pray about it. And we began to pray. And it was very evident in our lives that God wanted us to go there. Now, in my mind, I didn't really know why in the world would it matter. You know, we're going to be serving God. God, why would you have such a strong desire for us to go there? But I just remember my life knowing God wants us to go here. And I remember in our lives, and as we went and we jumped in, boy, we had a, a great time serving children and, and youth. And we really enjoyed uh, serving in that way and, and had an awesome time just, just growing and, and being mentored. You know, and after a while, we were around in some different conferences, and God began to, to stir up within me a desire for church planning. And, and I remember driving through the city of Circleville for the very first time as we were there. God began to give me a heart for Circleville. You see, the church we were in, that church I mentioned, that's a church plant, just three years old when we got there, and very young, and very much in the midst of growth. And now in my life, as I look back, God did an incredible work while I was there. First of all, He grew my faith, and and, and uh, as I first went, and did, not having a job, and then all the things you learn as being part of a church plant, God grew my faith, but God was also preparing me for what I would need to, to start a church. You see, if you had asked me when I first went if I would ever start a church, I would have said, no way. I didn't really have an interest. Uh, I was just happy being where I was and, and doing what I was doing for the rest of my life. But God knew the future, and God knew exactly what, it was, what he was doing. And he was preparing me all along for what he had intended for. I remember also similarly when we, uh, I remember God uh, asking us to leave, uh, leave that, that church. It was a very difficult decision because we loved it there. And uh, leaving there and going uh, across the country to an unknown pastor in an unknown place. And then being there not very long and all of a sudden was handed a Christian school. Had never done that before. And, and then these, uh, these new ministries that God provided but boy, uh, looking back and, and again wondering, why God, what's going on? But now as I look back, I have such incredible perspective to see, wow, God was really providing and putting into my life some things that were lacking, some things that were really needed. They put into my life and stretched me again and, and, and gave me opportunities. And now that he's called me to plant this church, boy, uh, I'm, I'm certainly far from perfect, but God has certainly given me some things that I needed to prepare me. Boy, I'm surely glad that when I couldn't figure it out, I simply obeyed God. Boy, the disciples would tell you the same thing. I would tell you the same thing. Your pastor, there are times in our life we just can't figure out why. But God has incredible perspective. He sees all. And if you and I would but simply have faith, we would trust God and walk with him closely, follow him intimately, and obey him completely, we would begin to, to experience the will that he has for us and know that what God has for us is far greater than anything you and I could ever imagine for our lives. He's an incredible God. If I could do anything else tonight, I would just want to encourage you in how great our God is, how worth serving and following and emulating that he is. 
And I want to see you encourage you. I know many, I'm sure, are. I want to encourage you to see God do great things through your life. To allow God to use you to meet the, the eternal needs of those around you. And I want to encourage you to see people like Jesus saw people with eyes of compassion. Motivated by the heart of God. I want to encourage you to give like this young boy gave. Surrendering all. And finally, I want to encourage you to obey like these disciples obeyed when they couldn't see the path ahead and when they may not have been able to figure out why, they simply obeyed anyway. If we follow these, this pattern laid out in Scripture, I believe that God can do amazing things through each and every one of you, through your church, can continue to change lives both here and all around the world. 